it even seems sometimes that our praise is not enough to express our thankfulness. God, because we have been forgiven much, though we are broken, though we are sinners, God, you still came for us to give us life. God, and our right response should be to give our lives for you, to be thankful and a grateful people to give you our passions, to give you our affection, to shout your name in joy, God, because you are worthy of all praise in this place and in our lives. God, help us to mean what we're about to sing. And we give you all the praise. Let's sing this together. Aspirational prayer, sing one more time. that we would love you, that you'd be the one thing that our hearts desire. Even in the psalm, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God, I pray that our desires would align with your desires. God, that we would choose to follow you above all the other things in our life that pull for our attention. you'd help us to realize that you are the most important thing, the thing that deserves all of our praise and our worship. Make that true of us this morning. We pray this in your name.
Let's get have a seat. All right, Doc. So, well, good morning, guys. It's uh, uh, oh yeah, there we go. I'm all kinds of excited today. You might not be able to tell it because I'm fighting off a cold and I'm full of drugs right now, so it's kind of making me a little bit like whatever. But guys, it's, it's a great day. Like we're, we're gathered together. That's awesome. We're going to get in the Bible together. That's awesome. But let me just say this, guys. It's a great day to be a Badger, right? Any football? Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure how that was going to go. Guys, 6 and 0. Oh. I mean, that's big. We're bowl eligible, right? We're, we're going on. Lisa and I were at the game yesterday and, and man, just had so much fun. Guys, I, I love our city. It's just like, there's just like a, a buzz with the football team. Maybe it's just me because I like football, but it's, it's, it's awesome. But I'll even say this, guys, as excited as I am about the, the Badgers being 6-0, if, if you're new or visiting, guys, I'm even more excited to have you here, part of the, the Doxa family today. But my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and I want to invite you guys to grab your Bible and go ahead and open up to the, the book of Acts, chapter 2. Kind of a, here at Doxo, our propensity is basically just to kind of go through books of the Bible, kind of just like slow and, and steady. And, and so if you don't have a Bible, guys, we, we'd love to give one to you. You can grab one on the welcome table on the way out. But we're going to be in the, the book of Acts, chapter 2 today, and we're going to continue our, our study of, of this great book of, of Acts. All right? And as we get into this, by, by way of introduction, let me, let me say this, okay? The book of Acts is, is really just a historical book which shows us what happened in the life of the early church, after Jesus was killed, was, was raised back to life and ascended into heaven. That the book of Acts is, is really, we, we sing this song about the, the gospel lit the flame. The, the, the book of Acts is really kind of like the chronicle of the spreading flame of the gospel. That really Acts is, is really just about Jesus' mission in our world today and really how we fit into it. All right, and, and with this, guys, here's how we're going to study this mission, all right? This mission of this historical book of Acts, this is how we're going to approach it. We're not going to study it as scholars, all right, but we're going to study it as soldiers. See, scholars and soldiers tend to be the ones that study history the most. Scholars want to, want to look at what people used to do, while soldiers want to look at what remains to be done. Those who are scholars study, study history for the sake of information, but those who are soldiers study history for the sake of mission, and as we approach Jesus' mission, guys, we're not just going to look at what God did through people that we read about hundreds and thousands of years ago throughout human history, but instead, we're going to look at what God still wants to do, what still remains to be done, what God wants to do through us even here at Doxa, here in Madison. And I want you to know, guys, that we are invited today to be part of the most important mission in the history of the world. And just as a soldier marches forward so that people may have life, we here at Doxa, we march forward as the family of God so people can meet the man Jesus and they can find eternal life. This is what we're doing. And as we get into Acts chapter 2 today, guys, we're going to see one of the most significant moments in the history of the world. That The day of Pentecost is what we're going to be looking at. And, and Pentecost, guys, is, is really just a day in which everything about our world changes. As we're going to see how, how Jesus' promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit is going to be fulfilled on this day in Acts chapter 2. And here's how we're going to approach this, okay? We're going to look at the first 41 verses of Acts chapter 2, okay? So no shaking your watch at me and being like, okay, hurry this up, okay? We're going to look at 41 verses, but guys, here's how we're going to make sense of all of this. Really throughout this, this passage, there's, there's three essential movements that we need to see. All right, so first we're going to look at the moment of Pentecost. Then we're going to look at the, the message of Pentecost. And we're going to wrap it all together by looking at the response to Pentecost. So the moment the message, and the response, all right? So let's get into this. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to start off with this moment of Pentecost. And this is what we see. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay, so a bunch of people from a bunch of different nations are gathered in Jerusalem for this, this celebration, and this is what happens. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like. I want you to circle that little word like in your Bible, okay? This is the weirdest word I've had you circle in your Bible if you've been around, but this is significant. A sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. In divided tongues, as of, circle as of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia... Fergia, Fergia, is that right, Fergie? I don't know, right? Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Guys, this is, the, this is the moment of Pentecost. And as you look at this, guys, it's, it's really easy to see, guys, that this is a, a truly miraculous moment in human history. And to that, let me just remind you that, that this is just a continuation of the many miraculous moments that surrounded the man Jesus. All right, and as Luke wrote this, guys, as he wrote this gospel and he wrote the sequel to his gospel, which is the book of Acts, we need to remember something very key. All right, that Luke was a, was a physician and he was a historian. He wasn't a mystic. All right, see, Christianity is not just an existential experience, but it's rooted in actual history. And while its history, guys, is, is peppered with, with miracles and mystery, I want you to understand this. That doesn't negate it as true, because I really want you to consider this, guys. Science is, is peppered with mystery as well, right? I mean, the, the mysterious dissonance between light, all right, that reveals itself in both particles and in waves is, is, a, is a mystery to scientists. And the incompatibility of this is mysterious and it really can't be explained, but scientists, they observe the facts and then they say, we really don't understand how this works. It's a mystery to us, but it's true. And even though they can't really understand it and they're a little bit baffled on how this can be, they're clear on what is presented as facts, that it's mysterious, but it's true. Guys, the same is true here in our text with the day of Pentecost. That even though it's, it's mysterious and it's baffling and it's miraculous, and maybe you're, you're hearing this and you're, you're tempted to just kind of dismiss it, as it actually happened, it's, it's rooted in human history and, it, and it's true. And so this is a miraculous day, guys, where, where God did something amazing, much like the day of the resurrection, which is attested historically as well, and the ascension. But something miraculous is happening. And here's what's going on. This is a Jewish holiday. And, and many people from many different nations, they're gathered in Jerusalem, they're gathered around the temple, and then all of a sudden, you look, the, the Holy Spirit descends on them just as Jesus said he would in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. All right, and the Holy Spirit comes to empower God's people just as he came to empower Jesus so that we might continue Jesus' mission by his power. This is what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is the key verse in the entire book of Acts. Right, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that you will be my witnesses. We talked about this a few weeks ago. 
Now, I'll just back out of this, and I want to acknowledge, guys, when we start talking about, like, the Holy Spirit, maybe for some of you who are, like, new to the Bible, you're, you're new to church, you're kind of in, like, all right, this is, like, even weirder than, I've, than singing all these songs, right? And maybe you've heard the Holy Spirit called the Holy Ghost, and you're like, okay, I get it, Halloween's coming up, like, what are we, what are we doing, you know? Guys, let me, just, let me just say this, okay? Throughout the book of Acts, we're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. Right, the book of Acts is really the acts of the Holy Spirit and how he moved through the church. But, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this today, but I, I do want to say this in, in light of, of who the Holy Spirit is. Okay? The Holy Spirit, guys, is the, is the third member of the Trinity, which is a word that, that Christians have used throughout history to explain the nature of God. That if you've ever re- read the Bible, we, we see progressively revealed throughout the Bible that we have a God that eternally exists as one God that exists as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We just sang that in the, in the song that we just sang, right? And even though in like our finiteness we, we can't fully wrap our mind around this, it's the reality and the nature of God. And, and so when we come to a text like this and we read of, of miraculous stuff like this happening in Acts chapter 2, many people will ask and, and look and will say, like, is this what the Holy Spirit is, is doing today? Maybe you're asking that question and be like, I get it. Okay, this happened like a long time ago. Is this what is happening today? And, and the answer is, in a, in a way, yes. All right, the primary thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in our world today is he's introducing people to Jesus, the people whom God loves. And what we see here in the opening verses of Acts 2 is that he comes like wind and he comes like fire. And when he comes like this, guys, Luke is trying to, to show us that this is power, all right, it's kind of like this, okay, many years ago, there was a, a Swedish chemist who was, who was working, and he discovered a, a very powerful substance, and, and since he discovered it, he got to name it. That's part of the perks of, of being brilliant, you, know, you discover stuff, and you get to name stuff. Like, I'm kind of bummed when I always consider this, because I'm like, not that smart, I'm probably not going to be able to name anything, and that's why I have kids, right? At least I can name something, okay? <laughs> but uh, but he, he discovers this, like, very powerful substance. He had to name it, and so he called his, his friend, who was a Greek scholar, and he asked him, like, okay, what's the, what's the Greek word for power? Because and it's the same word used here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Jesus talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the word dunamis. It's the word that we get our word dynamite. Guys, I want you to hear this. The, our word dynamite comes from the biblical word and understanding for Holy Spirit. All right, that when he shows up, it's like, boom, stuff happens. Right, that when you consider dynamite, like, and there's an explosion, you kind of, you don't shake your head and be like, I wonder what, did someone drop something? Right? No, you're like, wow, I know, there's dynamite there. Like, something exploded. Guys, the same is true, that when the Holy Spirit shows up, stuff happens, things change, people change, stories change. We see this all the time. Some of you, like, you were here a couple weeks ago, we had this baptism. A bunch of people got baptized, and they stood up here talking about how their lives changed when they met God. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, like, what he does. Right, some of you guys, you've known people in your lives, right, that they were one way for the majority of their life, and all of a sudden they have this encounter with God, and they change, and, they, and something happens in them, and they're literally like a different person. Guys, this is like the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of someone who has said yes to Jesus. There's a guy in my connection group. His name is Tom. I've had the privilege of becoming friends with him. Because here in his story, it's this, that Tom, he just shared his story at our connection group a couple weeks ago. And he talked about how for many years he was just an alcoholic, like literally just an addict and an alcoholic, 
And a guy was pursuing him at work and kept inviting him to church. And one day he finally gave in. He went to church. He heard the gospel. He said yes to Jesus. And he said, I couldn't explain it then. There's something just kind of felt like it came over me, and I never took another drink again. Is that everybody's story? No. But does this happen? Yes. This is what the power of the Holy Spirit does, that the Christian life is about that kind of power, that kind of God-given supernatural power that's ultimately, guys, it's not just to make us better people. It's to make us like Jesus for the sake of his mission and the sake of the world. And so even back to Tom, right? God like saves him, like empowers him by the spirit and, and makes him like Jesus. And now, instead of being an alcoholic, he's seeking to like help alcoholics as he leads our recovery group. He helps to lead our recovery group with another guy in our church to help people like this. It's Jesus's mission. And when Luke describes the Holy Spirit, guys, as wind and fire, because there's so much that we can learn about the Holy Spirit in our lives today, all right? Because it doesn't have to be this mystical thing of like, okay, well, what is like the Holy Spirit doing? You know, but I, I want to explain this to you, okay? Notice this. Look back how, how Luke uses this. When he talks, he uses this little word, like. I told you to circle that, like. It's really important for us to understand what the Holy Spirit does in our life. It's kind of like this, okay? Like, have you ever been in like a situation where something just kind of new happens? You don't really know how to explain it, right? And you're trying to explain it to somebody else and you're like, it's kind of like this, it was kind of like that, but it's not really kind of like that. But, right, it, this happened like after we had our first kid. Like we had Lily and I remember like in the weeks afterwards, I was hanging out with some of my buddies and they were like, hey, tell me about the birth. Like, what was that like? And I was just like, oh my gosh, like, how do I tell you about like... It was kind of like, like a beautiful horror movie scene, okay? <laughs> like, I mean, there was screaming, there was crying, there was blood, and then all of a sudden, there was just like this little beauty, beautiful baby, right? It was kind of like that, right? And they're kind of picturing. Guys, I want you to know, like, when Luke is using this language here, we're supposed to understand that the Bible is straining to communicate the supernatural and the constraints of human language. And so Luke is basically saying something strange happened, and it was kind of like wind, a mighty wind. And when we consider the Holy Spirit being like a wind, guys, it's, it's like this. So my backyard kind of opens up into like this field, like this little park area. There's this big open area. And, and there's kids and parents and families playing back there. We go back there and play with our kids and stuff too. But not too long ago, there was a dad back there like teaching his kids like how to fly a kite, right? And you know, you guys have flown a kite or at least have seen one, right? And the kite's just like this inanimate object that just sits there. It's not very cr great or anything like that. It was just laying on the ground, and you could totally see that the kids were like, sweet toy dad, like this is lame, right? And all of a sudden, the dad like pulls back on the strings. The wind catches it, and all of a sudden, this thing just goes up in the air, and it's almost like this kite has got life. It's like flying in the air. It's dancing around. Guys, I want you to think of the Holy Spirit like that, that the Holy Spirit is a person but his power is like that of the wind. And he fills the Christian. He lifts the Christian. He brings life into the Christian. And the Christian's life is one that is filled with the power of God. It's kind of like that. He comes like the wind, and that wind brings life. Like when we see this, when we, when we hear that the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is coming like wind, it should take us back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God is creating and you remember in Genesis 2, he's, he's creating humanity. And this is what it says in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and listen to this, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living creature. So the Holy Spirit, he comes like wind, and he breathes life 
into us. But then Luke also goes on to say that he also comes like fire, right? And, and that, again, this is why the, the key word of like is really important, because if these people were actually on fire, this would be a totally different story, right? But he comes like fire. And this is what he says in verse 3, and divided tongues of fire, look back, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so to quickly help you understand this, guys, Lisa and I, just a couple weeks ago, we, we went to Home Depot and bought like a $20 fire pit just to have some fun family time as it gets cold and stuff. And so we're having fires, making s'mores with our kids. And, and uh, you know, a fire is, is great when it's, when it's both cold and dark, right? And so the night that we first had this fire, it was both of those things. And, and the thing about a fire is it's, it's great because it illuminates, right? You, it lets you see in the dark, but it also makes you warm. It gives you heat. Because I want you to think about the Holy Spirit like that. Our lives in the world that we live in are cold and dark. And the Holy Spirit comes to illuminate Jesus to us and to warm our hearts to love him. And so these are like the outward metaphors that Luke gives us about the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand how he works in our lives. That he fills us like a kite, but then he warms us like a fire. And then he sets us on fire with the truth of God and he illuminates the world through us so that people can meet Jesus because it's his mission. The Holy Spirit is all about the mission of God. And we talk about this, that you can boil the mission of God down into two things, Jesus and people, people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This is what it's all about. And so he comes, he fills the early followers of Jesus as they gather. And you notice they begin to speak different languages. Right? It keeps on getting more and more mysterious, right? We have this wind, we have this fire, but now all of a sudden these people are speaking languages. You look back at verses 9 through 11. There are a bunch of different people from all around, and all of these people, they speak different languages. They can hear the apostles speaking in their own language. Look back to verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? All right, circle Galileans. Okay, that's an important word. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. Because here's what you need to know, okay? The Galileans are, are basically just like, I gotta, I, don't, I, I gotta think of like a PC way to put this, like hill people, rednecks, right? However you wanna, they're uneducated people. That wasn't PC at all, right? <laughs> they're uneducated people, all right? That was like their, their stereotype. Like people, when they thought about Galileans, it was like, oh, they must be from Minneapolis, right? They're like those type of people, right? <laughs> I'm just getting, okay, guys, it's the medicine, I told you, okay? Um, but just imagine this, okay? So you have like kind of like these, these backwoods people, right? And they're, they're coming into the city, and then all of a sudden, all these uneducated people can start speaking a bunch of different languages, right? I mean, people around them, they would be thinking like, wow, didn't see this one coming. I didn't know Uncle Leroy could like speak Mandarin, okay? <laughs> like, what's, what's going, it's just like, it's this miraculous moment and God uses like ordinary people to do extraordinary things for him to continue his mission to go into the world and to save people. And guys, I want you to know that this is the same that is true today in how God uses people today. I mean, our church, because if, if you've hung out with me, you, you certainly know that I am not like a great, great, awesome leader in person and all this stuff. I'm a broken person just like everybody in this world. But even as you consider Doxa Church, we're part of like a larger family of churches called the Salt Network. All right, and the SALT network basically started with a guy that was really just kind of like, I mean, he would say this, I could, I'm not throwing a rock out. He's like a Galilean, 
okay? Just like this dude from Iowa lived in Ames, Iowa, kind of like a redneck dude. If you know Troy, you know what I'm talking about, right? He just runs around, kills stuff, and just, I don't know what, right? But he loves Jesus, and God used him. And he took like this, this small college ministry in Ames, Iowa, and he blew it up. And now, guys, thousands of people throughout the Midwest and even our country and even around the world are gathered in churches all around. Thousands of people have come to know Jesus because God chose to do something crazy through this ordinary guy. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit empowers his people. The Holy Spirit can empower you and me to be part of the miraculous. And here, if you look back to verse 11, that's what he's doing. These people are proclaiming the mighty works of God. I want you to understand this. These mighty works of God, they're not preaching the gospel. They're not talking about sin, right? He's talking about these mighty works of God, which are really just like signs for an unbelieving Jew that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, had come. So they're probably pointing to like the resurrection and, and the ascension and all of these different mighty works that God has done to say, hey, he's come, he's here. And everyone there was amazed. Look back to verse 11. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. All right, so, so people are like baffled at this miraculous event. They're watching all this going down. They're like, okay, like, I'm hearing and seeing the mighty works of God. Like, like what, do we, what do we do with this? Like, does anybody know, like, can anybody explain this? And this is where Peter stands up and he gives the message of Pentecost. So we just had the moment, but the message of Pentecost is this, verse 14. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he's talking to thousands of people, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So Peter, the leader of the disciples, the leader of the early church, he stands up. And he basically says, hey, guys, it's only 9 in the morning. Like, we're not drunk, right? And it's like, kind of like this humorous moment. Like, we can read the Bible and, like, just read over it. But this is actually kind of funny, right? Because, I mean, how many intoxicated people have you come across that can start speaking a different language, right? They just get hammered at the bar on State Street, and all of a sudden they start speaking Portuguese, right? No, right? It's just, it sounds like gibberish, right? But this is what Peter says. He's like, we're not drunk. Are you kidding me? It's 9 in the morning. And even if we were, you really think we're speaking a foreign language because we're hammered. And he stands up, and what he does, guys, he explains what's going on. He gives the message of Pentecost, and he gives us, guys, this is the first Christian sermon to explain what's happening. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read this, and then I'm just going to make some comments to make sure we understand. But this is, guys, this is like a really cool text because this is literally like the first Christian sermon. Listen to this. But this is what, verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, I want you to underline that in your Bible, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord. Underline the day of the Lord. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, 
Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you know yourselves, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul in Hades or let your holy one see corruption. Verse 28, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. Guys, this is the message of Pentecost. This is the first Christian sermon. And guys, I want you to know this. The message of Pentecost is essentially this. Jesus is God. You killed him, but he rose from death. He's still God, and you need him. And the way that Peter delivers this is by first quoting the prophet Joel. And as he does this, guys, he's answering the, pe the question that people are asking in verse 12. If you look back, people were seeing the Holy Spirit do these mighty works, and they asked, like, what does this mean? And Peter basically just says, Joel told us about this day, that there was a prophet that, that lived many years before Jesus that God used to tell people how to know when the Savior of the world had arrived. And as Joel prophesied, he said that the Holy Spirit would come. And so this moment, these, these mighty works that people are watching, the Holy Spirit come, Joel is pointing to say that this is Jesus. Jesus is the Savior of the world that the world has been waiting for. And guys, I want you to know this. As he quotes the prophet Joel, he begins, I told you to underline last days. He starts talking about the last days. And here's what this means. All right, because the day of Pentecost was really just this day in which just like something new happened. Pentecost ushered in like a new era in world history. The last days is really just an expression used in the Bible that denotes a time when the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would, would come and begin something new. And he would come at two different times. First, he would, he would come as the suffering servant, as Isaiah 53 talks about, which is Jesus, who would come into the world and die and suffer for our sins, making a way for people all of us, to be with God. And during this time, which we're still living in, God has graciously offered a way of salvation for all people by coming to Jesus in faith to find the forgiveness of sin, which really just keeps humanity from God. And Peter says, guys, today is the day. That today is the dawn of the day of grace. That God has made it possible for you to come to him. And so if you remember like the storyline of the Bible, right? The storyline of the Bible is God creates 
He creates everyone, you and I, in his image, which means that we all have dignity, value, worth, and purpose. All of humanity. You've never locked eyes with someone that doesn't mean a significant amount to God because they bear the image of God. He created us to be in relationship with him. But the second movement of the storyline of the Bible, right after that creation, creation, instead of choosing God, they choose sin. And sin destroys that we, we go our own way. Sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the very nature of sin is it separates. It separates us from each other and it separates us from God. This is why we have so much brokenness in our world. And this is why relationships are strained and broken. This is why everything around us is broken. It's not because of, of just like a difference of philosophy or a political agenda or religions. It's literally the, the human predicament is sin and sin destroys Guys, this is why we feel brokenness. This is why we hurt. This is why we suffer. It's just sin. And every single one of us, we're, we're infected with this. We're impacted by this. And so sin destroys. But guys, listen to this. The good news is that God saves. That God comes into human history as the man Jesus. He lives a life that I couldn't live. He dies a death that I should have died. And on the cross, he takes my sin and he gives me his righteousness. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. That Jesus, he came into the world and he only asked for one thing. He said, give me your sin and I will give you everything. Guys, this is what Peter and Joel are pointing to. It's this dawn of the day of grace. And we're living in it now. We have the opportunity to respond to Jesus and escape, escape the effects of our sin and come to God. But in addition to this, guys, the second half of Joel's prophecy, look back to verses 19 and 20. The first part was like the dawn of the day of grace. Now, 19 and 20 describes the sunset of the age of grace to the second coming of the Messiah, which he calls the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, guys, refers to a time where, where God's final judgment of sin will happen. Well, this will be the end of the world as we, as we know it, where God will create a new heaven and a new earth. He'll eradicate evil and sin forever. And the day of the Lord, honestly... For Christians, for, for those of us who have had our sin issues mediated, that Jesus has forgiven us, like the day of the Lord is a day that we can look forward to with joy and not with fear. And we can say, okay, like I'm going to be swept up in God and Revelation is going to wipe away every tear from my eye and I'm not going to suffer. I'm not going to hurt. Everything's going to be perfect. It's going to be glorious in eternity. And we can look at that and say, man, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But for those who, who have not had their sin problem fixed, this is going to be just a terrible day of judgment and wrath. And this is where, like, the terrible conscious reality of hell, guys, just becomes, like, a very real thing. It's just eternal separation. That, that sin just separates us. If that goes on unmediated, guys, this is where we get into eternal separation. This is, like, the stuff we don't ever want to talk about, but we have to talk about. This is what Peter is saying, and his hearers, they understood this. And after hearing this, the crowd, guys, you almost sense it, like, they're anticipating, they're like, okay, like, if this is true and, like, wrath and judgment is coming because of sin, and I have sin, like, how do I get rid of, like, how can I escape this? And this is when Peter gives, like, the climax of his quote from Joel. Look at verse 21. This should be underlined and starred, highlighted. It shall be that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Peter gets to this big point and he says, guys, this is the message of Pentecost. This is God's mission, that there's salvation for all people. It's not just good people and bad people, right? It's not just for rich people and not poor people. It's for like all people because all people are bad. There's only one person that's good and his name is Jesus. But there's good news for all of us. And he says, it's Jesus. And he makes it so clear. Like his sermon is beautiful. Way better than any sermon I've ever preached. We should just read this every single week, right? But he, he makes it abundantly clear that it's Jesus. Look back, verse 22, he says, this is Jesus, his life. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, attested by God by many mighty works. He says he's proven himself to be God. He's done the miraculous. He's the only one in the history of the world that's raised from death. He talks about Jesus' death in verse 23, that he was crucified. But he wasn't just crucified and, and killed. He's not just another dead guy. But it was done so for God's definite plan that, that this is his, Jesus' death is his atoning death to save us from our sin. And then look, he talks about Jesus' resurrection in verse 24 through 42, or 32. He, he quotes Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 and said, David prophesied that this would happen, that the Messiah would come and he would die, but then he wouldn't stay dead. He would defeat death and defeat sin and defeat hell, and he would give you away. And Jesus is exalted in verses 33 and 36. He says that he rose from the dead. He presented himself to be God. And then look at verse 36. This is what Luke says. Let all of the house of Israel, therefore, underline this, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. In Luke's gospel, in the first chapter, Luke said he's writing all that he did so that you can have certainty in who Jesus is. Guys, you can have certainty that Jesus is God, that he's Lord, he's Christ, and his message of salvation is actually true and it's for you. And this, guys, is the message of Pentecost, that he's, Jesus is the answer to the predicament of human sin. And this is where we move into the response. So we saw the moment, the message, and now the response. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, or the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Because they were, they were cut to the heart that, that they had this feeling. Like, have you guys had that feeling? Like when you realize that something is true or when you just get hit with some type of reality and it just kind of stops you in your tracks? Like these people, they, they heard this message of Pentecost. They heard the gospel of Jesus and it just stopped them. And they began to think about life, and they began to think about eternity. Guys, this is like an, an invitation to like broaden your worldview. That many of you, maybe you were like me, for the majority of my life, I just kind of lived like this, with like mirrors in front of me, that the only thing that mattered in life, the only thing that really existed was Rob Warren. And I looked at myself all the time, and I just existed, and it was all about me and my temporary thing. And, like, I got to be a good athlete. I got to make money. I got to be powerful. I got to be a manly man. I got to, like, the here and now. This is like an invitation to, to take down those mirrors and to expand our worldview. It goes beyond you. Because there is a God that there is something more than you. There is something more than your job in Madison. There is something more than your success. There is something more than your problems. There is something more than your money. It's Jesus. And he's brought you here to help you with this. And guys, I, I hope that you find this because this is like literally what happened to me and changed my entire life. Guys, this is an invitation. The many people, guys, as they were listening to Peter, they're thinking like, okay, like if this is true, and I'm kind of starting to believe that it is. 
Like, what do I do? And some of you, you've been coming around doxa for a while now. Or, or maybe this is your first time, but you've had thoughts about God in the past. You've, you've thought about eternity. You've, you've thought about like where you stand with, with God. And now you're just like confronted with this truth of the Bible. And you're asking the same question, like, okay, like, like, what do I do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, underline this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. How many are you who are far off today? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The fact that you're here, guys, is God drawing you to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, circle this, guys, save yourself. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So Peter says, like, okay, what do you do? First, you repent. And guys, like, this isn't like repent, like, you know, you've seen, like, uh, like um, remember the show Monty Pythons, right, where people are just, like, beating themselves in the head and, like, I'm whatever, you know, or I'm not worthy, Wayne's World, like, it's not that. <laughs> repent literally means, like, to change the way that you think. That, that some of, we, we, we have ways that we think. Like Isaiah 55, like, we have thoughts and ways, but God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher and better than your ways. And so to repent literally means to change the way that you think about yourself, to change the way that you think about God, to change the way that you think about sin, and you turn to the way that God says. You turn from sin, and you turn to Jesus, and you start to listen to him. Peter says, this is it. This is what you do. You, you repent. You just turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And he says to save yourself. And, and some of you, like, maybe you're like, super reformed and you're, and you're like, well, how can you can't save yourself? Like, only Jesus. You know how you save yourself? You come to Jesus. And so Peter is, is acknowledging, like, you have to come to God. You have to come to Jesus and just ask for it and find the forgiveness of your sin. This is, guys, this is the most important thing about your life. It's Jesus. And I want you to hear this, guys. All that the Holy Spirit is doing on Pentecost is about the gospel of Jesus. It's about people hearing about Jesus because, guys, everyone needs to hear about Jesus. That Jesus is God, that Jesus is good, that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose, that Jesus saves, that Jesus loves. This is the mission. It's all about Jesus. And this message of Jesus has to get out. I mean, this is the point of our church. Like, this is why we exist, so that people can meet Jesus. It's all about the gospel and getting the gospel to people, getting the gospel to you. Some of you are going to say yes to Jesus today because God has been pursuing you, and I want you to know that all of this is for you. Every single thing that we do is for somebody to say yes to Jesus. And so here's how I'll close today, guys. Luke shows us the Holy Spirit as he's doing these miraculous things is, is both received and rejected. Look back to verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying they are filled with new wine. Guys, the Holy Spirit comes, empowers Peter to reveal Jesus, to share the gospel. And some people around him receive him, and some reject him. And what you're going to see in the weeks to come as we go through Acts is that thousands of people come to know Jesus. 
They put their faith in Jesus and they're saved from their sin. They're saved from eternal death. And while some received Jesus, others rejected him. And so some people, they, they hear the gospel, they hear about Jesus, they hear about their sin, and they just say, yeah, totally, like, I, I need him. Like, I get it, like, I, I need him. They, they put their faith in Jesus, and, and they're saved. And they get baptized to show the world that this is what happened. Other people, they say that, hey, look, that's great. These church people are just crazy. Christianity really makes no sense. Like, this whole thing is like a joke. Thanks for inviting me and giving me a Bible, but no thanks, just leave me alone. And those people, they, they walk away from Jesus, walk away unchanged, unsaved, unaffected, unempowered. And so, guys, my question for you is this. Have you received or rejected Jesus? I mean, have you received the love of God? Have you received the gospel of Jesus? Have you accepted his salvation, his forgiveness of your sin? Or have you rejected him? And even as you sit here, you're kind of sitting there being like, you know, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't know what it turned, I don't know what the sin problem is in my life. How that, have you received or rejected him? Peter says, save yourself. Because how do you do that? This is my plea to you. Save yourself. And this isn't me. Hopefully, you, some of you don't know me. This, like, I am a broken man speaking to broken men and women. I'm not like an angry preacher up here being like, you guys are sinners and you need Jesus. And like, I am saying, I am a sinner. You're a sinner. We all need Jesus. Save yourself. For the love of God, save yourself. This is what Peter is saying. Come to Jesus. He's drawing a line in the sand, and we just need to know this, guys, that when it comes to Jesus, there's only two options. You either receive him or reject him. And so I'm just going to pray, and I'm just going to leave you with that. You're going to receive him, or you're going to reject him. Let me pray. God, thank you for your, your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for...